Does anybody perhaps have um, or has made a New Year's resolution? Have you guys? Just a show of hands. Has somebody made a New Year's resolution? Okay. Some hands. <laughs> There's Uncle Bert as well. So I've also got some New Year's resolutions. Is there maybe someone who'd like to share something of what they've decided they'd like to maybe bring to an end in 2023 or start up in 2023? Is there someone maybe just shout it out? Like. Sorry, say again? Oh, Mike wants to learn coding and other Mike? Mike wants to be less busy. That's a good one. Uncle Bert? Ah, okay. We heard that. That's an awesome one. Anybody else? <laughs> Grant wants to start the gym. One of, one of mine is also to, to like to learn a new hobby, something that's fun. Um, and then I also want to read the, the whole Bible again. That's something that I kind of, it's kind of, you know, part of the job. <laughs> so I want to read the whole Bible again, but I want to do it chronologically in the order in which things happen. So that's something I want to do this year. Have you ever thought about why we make New Year's resolutions? It seems to be just something that, that happens at the end of the year and at the beginning of the year in that period, people kind of start to reflect back and then start to think forward about what the new year could be like if they made some changes or if they maybe tried something new. Now, New Year's resolutions actually have a long history and it kind of dates back to the time of Babylon 4,000 years ago, believe it or not. Um, they actually had a different calendar um, and they actually followed the same calendar that the Jews did in Jesus' time, similar calendar there. And then also a few hundred thousand, not th thousand, a few hundred years later, the Romans as well also adopted something that we could refer to as a New Year's resolution. But the, the thing about the New Year's resolution that the Babylonians and the Romans had in common was that the New Year's resolutions were only religious. So they never had any resolutions, kind of like the kind of resolutions like what we have, like they didn't want to learn coding. <laughs> I don't know if they wanted to learn new hobbies, like the kind of things that I'm thinking about. Now, I think I'll leave that for the more senior people. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 I might probably take up knitting when I'm older. But yeah, so they had something in common. And the, the thing that they had in common was that the New Year's resolutions that they did have were only revolving around religious things. So what they did, here's actually a picture of a relief that's probably about 2,500 years old. And what they did was they made oaths and promises to their gods at the beginning of their year. And the belief went that if they were able to maintain and keep up these promises and these oaths for the year, then the gods would bless their year. And so this was a belief 
a very strong-held belief because they had a, they had ranges of gods that they would worship over that time, and so they would make promises and oaths with these gods, believing that if they held and kept those oaths, the year that lay ahead of them would be a blessed year. Now, despite this tradition of of having New Year's resolutions, having religious roots, um, New Year's re- resolutions today, as, as we know, are mostly secular in the way that we think and plan around them. And so instead of making promises to, to God um, or gods, most people make resolutions only to themselves and focus probably purely on self-improvement. Now, the most popular New Year's resolutions are about self-improvement. And this is according to a study done by the University of Scranton. And the, 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 the most popular New Year's resolution revolves around living healthier. So 23% of people make that resolution. So that's probably maybe how you eat, um, your, your, your lifestyle practices. And so a lot of people would make that kind of a resolution. Then there's getting happy. I don't really know what that entails. <laughs> um, perhaps it's something like what Mike was talking about, having a more relaxed time, being more restful in how you, how you live your, your, your year that lies ahead. And then there's this one. Apparently, 20% of people have a, a New Year's resolution that revolves around losing weight. Now, nobody here, we're talking about other people. So, <laughs> I know nobody here falls within that 20%. And then, 70, then 7% of people say they're going to exercise more, like Grant over there. 5% of people say they're going to stop smoking. say they're going to reduce drinking, and then there are those who have um, New Year's resolutions around careers, and then there's 11% around um, relationships. Now, you know what? Despite these big plans that people make at the beginning of the year, um, this study found out that only 8% of people will actually achieve and maintain their New Year's resolution. 8% of people. Wow. So these are all good, um, but what about making resolutions or decisions about our spiritual lives? And if we were to have, if I drew up a list for myself of New Year's resolutions, where would spiritual goals lie on my list? Um, And now from that arises another question when I think about that. If spiritual growth were a resolution that I were to make or you were to make, what would that process look like? What would I need to do to actually achieve that kind of goal? Now, I've noticed that many believers have this understanding that this process of spiritual growth, this process of sanctification, again, nobody here thinks this way, um, there's this belief that this process has little to do with my effort or your effort. There seems to be this idea that when you become a believer, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become inhabited by the Holy Spirit, 
And the Holy Spirit then goes about making these changes inside you, and you are just along for the ride. I've kind of heard this amongst believers before, that there was this belief that, you know, there's not much that you can do to make those kinds of changes. And so there's this understanding that you don't have to put in much effort. You simply just maybe have to show up at church like this. Maybe you'll, you'll read your Bible in chronological order. <laughs> um, or, or maybe you'll hang out with other believers and then you'll be fine. Your, your spiritual growth um, pathway would be sorted. Now, is that true? Or is there something that you actually have to contribute is there some requirement of you? Is there some input from yourself that's actually going to make that process move? Now, the Apostle Paul actually touches on this question in the book of Galatians, and that's what we're going to be looking at for a few minutes now. Now, in Galatians, he uses what I want to focus on, a very helpful metaphor that I hope will help us as we look at it and look at it from a different perspective, a better understanding of how spiritual growth happens. And so we'll read a few verses from Galatians. Maybe one of you guys can read it out for us. Um, from Galatians chapter 5, 10 verses from verses 16 to 26. Now, just for a little bit of context, the central theme of this book of Galatians is Paul kind of setting a few things straight with these believers who he's writing this letter to by answering the question, how is a person saved and justified? By works of the law or by faith? And while he answers this question with them, he weaves in an encouragement to them to pursue a life of holiness, not in your own strength, but in the knowledge of God's empowering grace by the Holy Spirit. Is there someone who would like to read those 10 verses for us out loud? Thanks, Mike. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like the orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thanks, Mike. Now, this is probably, for me at least, one of the most condensed descriptions anywhere in the New Testament of what happens when the Spirit of God 
really gets a hold of someone's life and begins to change and transfer them into something else. Um, now, Paul doesn't say here in those, those nine things there in verse 22. He doesn't say about them, here are these nine things. Now go and be these nine things and then you'll be sorted out. He doesn't say that. He doesn't give that kind of a, of a command. Now, notice also in the way that he communicates that. He doesn't say um, fruits. He says fruit. It's singular. It's not like here are these nine fruits that could grow in your life because the Spirit is present. Rather, Paul is saying here, here is the one thing, or here is the one person. And here it is from nine different aspects or nine different characteristics. Now, the metaphor that Paul uses here is one that we see there in verse 22. It's the word fruit. And I think this word fruit kind of gives us a window into how Paul sees this process of change that occurs in each one of us as believers. So Paul describes what happens through the Holy Spirit. But we kind of have to be honest and note that it is not a simple matter. It's very complicated. It's not a case of just praying and then you receive it and then you're fine. It's not that kind of thing. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that. Now, some of the Christians that I know actually have experienced a very rapid change, a very quick change. Um, and, and I know some folks who have come from a very challenging background, um, and their testimonies reveal to us that the change that happened in them was something that happened quite quickly. Um, I know some guys, I have some friends who have, uh, who've come out of gangsterism. I know some folk who have come um, who have a, in their past a history of drug addiction, and for them their experience was very quick. It seems like if I met them today, next week if I met them again, they would be a completely different person. And so for them that change that we are talking about, this process of sanctification kind of seems like it was much quicker for them. But I think that most believers appear to have a slow process going on. There hasn't been this quick change, even though some of them may have expected or desire something like that. You know, these spiritual growth pathways have been slower and perhaps more measured. Now, I know one of the things that we struggle with is why doesn't this happen quicker for me? Why can't I just pray and then it is instant and I'm immediately a different person? But this doesn't seem to be the way that Paul is describing how this process happens for us, even though we know that the potential for a quick change is there. Now, in the verses that Paul writes here, he uses this metaphor of fruit. Now, anytime I think when you see, especially in the New Testament, 
a metaphor like this being used, it's worthwhile to pause and to ask, why is he using that particular word? Why is that word being used, and are there perhaps layers to this idea of him using that word of fruit? Because Paul could actually have described this idea by using other words. He could simply have said something like, the presence of the Spirit makes us more loving, joyful, peaceful, etc. He could have just said that. Or he could have said something like, when the Spirit comes upon you, you become just like him. But he chooses to use this metaphor of fruit. Now, as we know, fruit doesn't just happen. There's a, there's a process involved in um, getting to the point where you actually harvest fruit. Now, during COVID, um, a, two years back now, um, you know, when we were all stuck at home, somebody gave us this planter's box and a bag of, of, um, of soil. You know, the fancy soil that makes the stuff grow faster than the soil that you'd so much just dig out of the ground. So they gave us this planter's box and this bag of soil, and they said, yeah, maybe you can use this. They had more than they needed. And um, so the stuff was standing in the yard there, and then it came to this point, and I thought, let me, let me see what happens if I actually try something. Let me, let me try and plant some things in this box. So don't judge me. Um, that's what it looks like. Um, so, so in the box there, I have currently, I know it looks a mess, but on the left-hand side there, I have some bulbs growing. That's, um, that's a blood lily. And they look like that most of the year. But just around the time of March, two leaves start to grow, and only one flower comes up out of it, and it looks beautiful. So that's what I've got. My mango tree looks a bit worse for wear. <laughs> I don't know if that's just me. Um, I've been trying to doctor it now for the last few days. Um, there's a, that's a, a pineapple there. There's another pineapple over there. I've got some green peppers growing in the middle here. There's a little green pepper growing. Okay. <laughs> um, I've got a beautiful, uh, unfortunately I cut it out here, but that's a beautiful avo tree there. And there's an orange tree growing over here. So there's a lot going on there. I know that half looks like death. <laughs> the one half looks like death, but come around at March and you'll see something nice. Now imagine that I, if I had just chucked sand in the box and taken those seeds and threw them on top of the box, would something have grown? What do you think? Maybe something might have grown. Maybe a really strong green pepper tree would have fought its way through all of the nonsense that I was busy doing um, and maybe sprouted a few leaves, but I doubt that it would actually have produced some fruit. There would probably be a lot of weeds. Um, and if I didn't uh, water it regularly, there'd be a lot of brown leaves um, but we all know that, that when you work a piece of ground and you want it to be fruitful and able to produce as much fruit as it could be, as it could produce, 
there are some things that you have to do. Um, now, the first thing that you have to do, and, and this is what I learned, is that you have to learn some things about gardening. Now, they say that you have to have green thumbs. I don't have green thumbs. My thumbs are brown. <laughs> Clearly, they still are brown. <laughs> um, but you have to learn something about the process of gardening. You have to learn about soil preparation. You have to learn about weeding. There might be some things that you could actually leave in there. You need to learn about how you, could, how you need to space your plants and how you should group them. You need to know which, which plants like and prefer full sunshine, which ones prefer to be in the shade, what season you've got to plant them. Um, and then you've got to learn about mold um, and fungus as well. And then you've got to find out also about predators and um, predators that might want to come and eat what it is that you are trying to grow. Now, in this process, one of the, th or at least the thing that I struggled with most was the last one. That was predators. Now, something started eating the green peppers with meaning. I mean, the one day, the one evening I went out and I watered and I said, oh, they're looking good. And I went out the next morning and half the leaves were gone. And I thought, oh my word, I hope they recover. And then I came back <laughs> the day later and all of the leaves were gone. And then I was determined to find out what the culprit was that was eating my leaves. So where this planter box is standing, it's kind of close to the drain um, in the yard. So I thought, it's probably slugs, you know. Slugs would come out at night and they'd feed on your stuff, and then they'd go back in the drain, and you would not be the wiser. So I buy a bag of salt, and I throw the salt around the base of the planter box, um, and I thought to myself, that's got it sorted. Um, one or two leaves started growing back, but then those leaves <laughs> got taken as well. And then I, I was really like flabbergasted, what is this thing? that is eating my plant. So one day I'm in there and I'm, I'm, I'm plucking out um, little bits of weeds that are starting to show their face. And as I'm doing this, a little moth flies out. And immediately it clicked. I need to look for a caterpillar. So it was a, a caterpillar that was eating my plants. And there's a little picture of the bugger. <laughs> so I found him, and I, I arranged a meeting with him and Jesus. <laughs> now, now, unfortunately, I have not, as you could see there, um, I have not been able to bring that crop of vegetables and fruit that I was trying to grow to harvest yet. The pineapple, the mango tree, the arrows, they are still busy growing. Green peppers are making a comeback, yes. But think about this. If I did bring all of those plants to a place of finally producing tasty and full, rich vegetables and fruit, if I could bring all of them to that point with all of the watering and the weeding and the pruning and the care, 
Would I be able to say, I grew those fruit? I grew those vegetables. If I came to, the, if to one evening and I harvested, actually, you know, the pepper that grew, grew about the size of this mic head before the worm got it. But if, it's, if I was able to bring it nicely to that place, would I be able to, on that evening when I'm sitting down and enjoying this meal with this green pepper, would I say, I grew that green pepper? What do you think? <sighs> That's a good answer. I would say no. I would say no, I couldn't really say that. I didn't really grow that green pepper. What did I do though? I was a gardener who put in an enormous amount of effort to provide an environment where fruit and vegetables could be grown. But how does the fruit grow? How does the vegetables grow? You know, out in space, there's this huge ball of gas, and it sends heat and light to start photosynthesis. How much control do I have over that? Nothing. Up in the atmosphere, there's carbon dioxide, and then there are clouds that form out in the sky that produces rain that sends down water that the plants and the vegetables need. How much control did I have over that? Nothing, really. How much control do I have over the soil's ability to hold this plant upright and to be able to pass onto this plant the nutrients that it needs to receive from my little bit of work on the outside? Nothing. How much control do I have over the genetic structure of this little plant that I'm trying to grow? To enable it to transform into uh, a leaf stem with branches that then changes its leaves into fruit. I have no control over those factors. And those things are the things that really grows that fruit. Those are the things that makes those vegetables appear. And so there is this range of forces outside of my control that are actually responsible for growing those fruit. However, my role is crucial. What I do is very important, even though I do not grow the fruit, I can be responsible for hindering that growth if I do not play my role. If I, not do the, if I do not do the things that I know are required, like weeding, like watering it, like protecting it from predators, if I don't do those things, then I will get in the way. And I will hinder the growth potential to produce fruit. Think about that for a moment. And I think this is why Paul uses this metaphor in particular to describe what the Spirit holds within our lives. 
You see, the Holy Spirit is this person who is actively at work trying to influence and bring about a change that will make me more like Jesus. And he provides all of the essential requirements. But he can't make these changes that are necessary alone. And this is very important to remember. I cannot change my character in the way that the Holy Spirit is able to do that. However, I can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can get in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in me and through me. Now, if you decide, I'm actually going to end here. I want to leave us hanging. Because I think one of the questions that arises at this point is, now what must I do then? What is this process for me? Now that I know that I actually have a role to play, if I really want to grow spiritually, there's a requirement on me. I cannot just pray and leave it out there. There's some work that is required of me if God wants to produce fruit in me and through me. And so if you decide that spiritual growth is something that you want to see in 2023 for yourself, know that there is a role that you have to play in that. And it will cost you. It will cost you. But you will grow. You know, when you, when you plant something at the beginning, you cannot see the result right at the end until you persevere until the end. And this, I believe, is the, is the essence, if we dig a little deeper into what Paul is trying to communicate to us here when we think about this idea of being and growing um, our spiritual lives in this process of sanctification as we produce fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought us to this point that you have brought us to the start of a new season for us. And Lord, as we step out into this new season, as we wade into the waters that you have prepared for us to pass through, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and work in our hearts, work in our minds, but that you would also remind us of the role that we have to play in the process. Father, I ask your presence over all of us as we enter into this coming week that lies ahead for many of us here. It's the start of school. Many of us will start work. We'll pick up where we may have left off at the end of last year. Lord, we ask that you would come and empower us as we walk into this week. Come and be with us because we eagerly desire to have your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.